Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Those of you who are with us online, you're at Lent 101, the journey from death to life. This is our third and final week. Next week, Pastor Winterhoff is with us with Conversations with Jesus. So maybe a little intimate kind of teaching. Because we came up a little bit late, oh, we have one question, and that was where you would find past sermons, but we're going to answer that question on Wednesday, (laughs) and we will think in terms of getting the handouts in a minute. Um, So this is where we are today. Um, Joni and I were just talking about this image and this phrase, bright sadness. I love that in Alexander Schmemann's book on... The Lenten journey, that's what we've got. We may be in a darker, quieter, uh, more somber, just as reverent, though, season. And But we're looking forward to that Easter morning. Here it is. Online viewers, to access our handout, and also if you want to access the PowerPoint apart from seeing this screen, you would go... On Facebook, there should be a link in one of the first comments below the live feed and at kogva.tv or kogva.org, wherever you are, you can find the link below the live feed because you're labeled as being in the balcony. (laughs) Okay, and each week, these are the things we're looking at, so we'll make sure we have psalmody. We're going to look at some Lenten texts today, and these texts today are going to focus on Jesus' descent into hell. Um, A little bit of a different look today. Uh, Spiritual disciplines, and of course traditional Lenten prayers. So, we will open with a psalm as our opening prayer. So if you would, pray with me. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve my life. In the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Amen. And because I was at 8 a.m. worship, and I think you guys were, I think we were in the same row at opposite ends, I hadn't realized how Pastor Sermon on a sign in Lent being the yield sign was going to link to these last words. He was, he was talking about, in fact, you can catch it <laughs> on Facebook or at kogva.tv, either live now or in an hour or on Facebook anytime. Um, but he was talking about how risky it is, how inconvenient it is to yield to the Lord. And, and, and this psalm focuses on that, asking us, or not asking but speaking to the Lord and asking him to teach us, to draw us to him and away from those 
worthless things. That's, that's a pretty powerful phrase. And then he talked about, you know, it's risky. We, we dread. We're, we're afraid of yielding to the Lord. And this psalm picks that up. And then, of course, it's his righteousness that preserves our life. So I really appreciate hearing his sermons before we come together, especially because we're talking about this season. A very quick review. The first week we talked about calendars and that any calendar we live by, and James Brower, a Lutheran theologian, says that every family is shaped by the holidays it keeps together. And so families can have discussions about how that is true. But as a family of Christ, as a community of the Lord, here in Williamsburg or you wherever you are, we are also shaped by that church calendar. And so that's, that's why we talk about that for Lent, that Lent is part of that calendar. We talked about that that first week. But I hope you're sensing, as frankly I am, because I've been doing this study along with you, to be thinking about this season more than I have in past years. The second week, we, taught, we started on Lent's Practices. We actually used some of those ashes, and and we, you know we, we have that list of the traditional Lent practices. But I think and, and so we introduced that. We especially looked at fasting, which is for the most part for us a private thing. You know, uh, when you fast, do it in do it in private. You know, wash your face. Jesus said, "Don't go around looking mopey um, and, and haggard." Um, but there's, and so we don't tend to think in terms of corporate fasting, but that is an aspect. Today we are going to think more, talk more in terms of a corporate look at the end of our hour um, to Lent's practices. But the point, and I think that's where we want to get today, is that these practices kind of come out of what I'm calling the five big days of Lent. Uh, those those bigger days. I mean, this is this is a Sunday in Lent, and of course we, we celebrate it. And here at King of Glory, we meet on Wednesdays, and we have a study or a service, and we're combining those today uh, this year. But even you know, so the the days, <laughs> you know, you could probably take a pen like you did in school and say, oh, okay, Monday Thursday is more Eucharist focused, and you know, okay. But the point of the practices is because they they link us, they draw us to Lent's theme, sin and my salvation, how what Jesus has done on the cross and in his resurrection, if we think in terms of pays for my sins or conquers sin, death, and the devil, Repentance and resurrection, that bright sadness thing. And Joni was saying, she, she loves that phrase, and I do too. From death to life. So let's get into it. Let's get where we're going today. Triduum, Latin, just meaning three days. And so sometimes you find that in a, if you're reading a, a scholar on, or, or, or an author on Lent, you may see that phrase, the triduum, just try Days, okay, three days. Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday. 
So what happens for us often, the activities that line up, and I think they're, we've got them even on the handout, kind of lining up. No, I didn't put that. Okay, so look at there. Obviously, Monday, Thursday, we, we rehearse, we go through again that Last Supper, which we now call the Lord's Supper. And here at King of Glory, I believe our conferments have their first communion on Monday, Thursday. Monday coming out of mandate, a command. The command to love one another from those last chapters in John 14 to 16. This, the, this is, you know, to love one another, this command I give you. But Monday, Thursday also sends us into the realm of almsgiving, and, I, and I'm putting charity and love because we don't think in terms of alms very often. Now, that seems like almost a medieval term, but it comes out of the earliest church and the, the, the Hebrew uh, scriptures too. But foot washing. Who was it? John last week. I, was, I wanted to ask him this week to tell us about foot washing. He says he, remember he said when we talked about rituals that he had done foot washing. I, have you been the people who wash feet? Mm-hmm. You have. Would you mind telling, um, telling us? We were at, at a church in Hampton. Maybe you can speak up just a little for the mic. We were at a church in Hampton. Oh. And um, we, we washed each other's feet. You didn't have to do this. Yes. But if you wanted to, you could. And it was the most, the most awesome feeling to do that. I mean, it was... It was not embarrassing. Wow. Or, um, or anything. It was just a wonderful feeling <coughs> to wash the feet. Very, very humbling. Oh, absolutely humbling. Yes. I think that's the thing that would scare most of us, right? The embarrassment, which is a humble uh, emotion. <laughs> that's one of those I don't really want to. Is that a fair, even a fair question? When you came away from that, humbled, awesome, well, I, I don't really, you know, it was a long time ago. Okay. So I don't remember how how it affected us. Well, except right. that you're using emotional terms in We're terms of awesome. It. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I've been in services where uh, uh, elders, pastors have washed one another's feet or, or something, but I've never been one of the people. And I have to admit, I don't know that I would volunteer. But it wasn't embarrassing at all. Not embarrassing. No. As, which was easier, to wash someone's feet or have your feet washed? I think to wash. Yeah, it's like giving mm-hmm. instead of taking. Yes, yeah. So when Peter said, Lord, you're never, no, you'll never wash my feet. You can understand that. Yeah. 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 It wasn't something that was taken lightly. It was no. very, mm-hmm. very intense. Mm-hmm. Oh, intense. Yeah. I, I, I imagine that's a really good descriptor, intense. Yeah, because of the emotions behind it. Because I'm sure you had probably just heard the John passage where Jesus wraps a towel around him and goes from man to man. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. So we think in terms of 
uh, you know, these, these actions for Monday, Thursday, this, this is my commandment that you love, commandment that you love one another. At King, of, at King of Glory, I can't recall if we exit in silence. I think we do because we strip the altar. And at our church in New Jersey, we always did that. I don't remember if we had exited in silence, but we stripped the altar. And so, because as Jesus finishes in the upper room, they go to the garden. And so the altar will often be stripped. Sometimes, I can't recall what happens here, because we spent 30 years in New Jersey. That one's <laughs> emblazoned in my brain. Our organist, who had a beautiful tenor voice, would accompany himself on the organ and chant Psalm 22. And in fact, Psalm 22 is going to be my suggestion for the upcoming weeks of um, Psalm study, if you're thinking about something like that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Good Friday, another, another of the big days when we get to the three days of where we're headed in Lent. Of course, meditation. How have you tended to spend Good Friday? Now, when you're in the workforce, it's it's often difficult. Um, Jean would race home from church, I mean from work, to get to church at 7. I'm sure it was hard to turn his head around from the issues at work. I mean, we, we didn't have supper. I mean, maybe the kids did. Um, well, it, what do you recall about Good Fridays and, and how you observed them? I was raised Lutheran. Okay. So I, re- I go back to my, my teen years oh. um, with Good Friday. It was a, a daytime service. Okay, a three-hour? It was a close to. Yeah, that's a tray or three hours. Yeah, close to a three-hour. At noon? At noon. Yeah. And uh, it was it was very, very meaningful. Even as a teenager, you know, mm-hmm. we were, I, I think maybe we were supposed to go mm-hmm. at first, in the first year, but then after that, we went. Uh, were you in a Lutheran school and you had Friday off? Not a school. But you had Friday off. You must have had, had good Friday. Friday. Oh, we had Friday off school. Yes, because I went to... Uh, yeah, when I was in the Chicago Public Schools, we had good Friday off. Yeah. Always. Yeah. I don't know if they do now, because they tend to try to observe... The school system tries to honor more religious holidays, so they can't, can't honor them all. Um, yeah, yeah. We... Jean went to work. I was an at-home mom. Oh, Bill, you were going to say... No, okay. And so I was an at-home mom... And we usually did our Easter eggs on Friday morning. Um, yeah, and you know, I would try to have the kids think about what symbols they might want to put. I usually tried, I'm a terrible artist, I tried to do a hill with three crosses with my crayon on my egg. And you know, they had fun with it. But then we always, because they were young, we didn't stay for three hours. There was a community three-hour service, and it was divided up into 20, 25-minute segments, the seven last words on of the cross, um, or the seven last words in the passion story, and I would get our kids in to, it depended how, how young they were, for one or two of those sections, but I was amazed, I always brought crayons, pencils, whatever for them, and we, it was a community one, so and it was a very small church, much smaller than our church, so I especially wanted them to be well behaved and quiet, four kids in this little row with me. And I was amazed that the drawings they would do as they sat there with the paper or whatever I had given them, 
always reflected what they were hearing in the words, either from the sermon or from the readings. So there was some, I was being taught (laughs) something about setting time aside to focus. Like you, like Bill Ewan said, we talked when we came in, that I, I told my husband that Bill had said he loves and some of the rituals we do, devotional rituals we do here at King of Glory are to follow the cross as it processes in and recesses out. And as it comes past, some people bow, but the whole congregation turns with that cross. And Bill, you had said that you focus on him and him alone. It, it just narrows that focus. And I think with the kids in those Lenten, that three hour, which we didn't say for the whole thing, helped me see that a traditional, and it was a ritual for us, it wasn't a bodily ritual, but it was a ceremony we followed yearly, was helping us to focus our attention mm-hmm. on Christ and his passion. Mm-hmm. I recall there was a lot of silence in the service. Yes. Oh, it's this. I didn't yeah, yeah, no, yeah, good. Yeah, I, I just remembered that. You get a star. <laughs> I didn't even see that. But it was, it was, there was a lot of, there was silence throughout, not just in one spot. Yes. So it really made you reflect so much more. In that, in that afternoon service. Mm-hmm. And of course we often, we just explain to those who aren't in the room, that, um, a three-hour service is to is to set aside that time that we think Christ would be on the cross, and the darkening. And I was always convinced that there was a dark sky and maybe some rain in the forecast. I, it didn't always happen, but it always seemed. But if you go to a tenebrae, a darkness service, um, there there too there will be some silence because. There's the, the um, extinguishing. That's the word. Extinguishing of those candles and the lights. The lights get dimmer and dimmer, and there, at King of Glory, I know, we exit in silence, and that's hard to do, because this is a community of people we love, but there is something about being disciples who have watched the Lord die that causes us to move to silence as part of a ritual. Holy Saturday, though, that, uh, for, for my Lutheran growing up, um, and even for my Catholic friends, they, they, didn't, they went to confession on Holy Saturday. As I was growing up, it was a strange day, and it was a strange day for me even raising the kids because we had focused from Thursday night to Friday night. And, and often I would fast in, in that time frame, and uh, children didn't fast. Um, but we'd get to Saturday and not not even quite know what to do. What to do. Yeah. What about you? Do you have any memories of that? Yeah. Well, as as we think about this idea of Holy, Holy Saturday, you know, we have Good Friday and then Holy Saturday, we. We should think in terms of, and here's what I want to say, and this gets hard, I wish I, I wish I knew how to get this over the blackboard. For the Jews, I mean, there are different ways of using a calendar. We start our day at 12 a.m. Okay, so it's midnight is where we change 
from Thursday to Friday. Um, there's another, others can do it at sunrise. Jews do it at sunset. So when, when we have the Passover supper, the Monday Thursday, last supper, for us it's Thursday evening, as, as sun sets for the Jew, Friday has begun. Okay, so Thursday, okay. Friday has begun. Then at sunset on Friday when Jesus is in the tomb, and obviously the Jew today doesn't believe this, but if we look at the New Testament, sunset on Friday, remember, the, um, the women wanted to get Jesus down and off the cross and put somewhere, but they couldn't finish preparing his body because sunset was going to come and the Sabbath began, which for us would be then Saturday. So we've got this Thursday night to Friday, Friday night to Saturday. So Saturday night then becomes the beginning of Easter. I think in our first week I mentioned some churches do an Easter vigil. Yeah. Yeah, and now and I can't recall. Have you been done that? Yeah. Yes. All night. We took you know, we had hours that we signed up. Oh and we just sat in the church and, and you know, we, they had possible things that we could be reading. Yes. In hymns, songs, um, other other Bible passages. Okay. Was that here or when you were growing up? Or you don't remember? That was here in in, in, oh. in Virginia. In Virginia, yeah. It, I don't think it was in Williamsburg. I okay. Think it was in and, but it was a time specially set aside because it was Holy Saturday and a vigil, a prayer vigil. Yeah. There, there is a tradition in that in our Lutheran, um, Lutheran book of worship, um, in the big, <laughs> in the big thick book that has all the readings and all the prayers, mm-hmm. um, there is the suggestion for a, a vigil, an Easter vigil that gets to the resurrection. And it's, it suggests readings from Genesis. Interesting, mm-hmm. it, it, it often includes the three men in the fiery furnace the way Pastor did today. But the, the Genesis account all the way through the prophets, and if I've been to one outside of Chicago in Wheaton, Illinois, a church of the resurrection, an Anglican church, Episcopal <coughs> or Anglican, now I can't remember, and Anglican, and um, started before sunset. You start outside with a bonfire, and then the candle is lighted from there, and you process into the, the big sanctuary, and then with music, and with dance, and with theater, <laughs> the, you know, the, um, I, don't wanna call, I don't wanna call it skits, but the enacted, enacted scripture. We went through that Genesis, through the story of God's people to Jesus' death, and then at midnight, the resurrection. And then we burst into song, we burst into banging pots and pans. Uh, we, then they did the baptism of new people and communion, and we were dancing during, and I don't dance in liturgical dance. People were just dancing in the aisles with joy over the resurrection. I have never experienced anything like this 
I'm more of an introvert than you would think with me standing here, and I don't tend to want to do things like that. I mean, I will with the family. But it was a phenomenal experience mm -hmm. of the Easter joy and the, the passion story. Mm -hmm. There's one set of, oh, I have to look at our time. One set of teachings, though, that especially the Eastern Church, Eastern Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, focus on at this time of the resurrection. And the question is, you know, the descent into hell, the term, the harrowing of hell, making hell shake in its boots, making Satan shake. And it, I need to get this to check. Some traditions, early traditions, and this is a painting uh, in a church in Istanbul, Anastasis is resurrection. You see Jesus resurrected, and I know Holy Saturday he's not resurrected yet, but what I want you to see is he's, he's over hell here, stomping on hell's gates, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it is one of those passages that may uh, help to explain this. But he is pulling, and I believe this is Abraham, I mean, I, I, I question whether it was Abraham, but because the tradition is Adam and Eve, this may be Adam and Eve, you know, there are apostles and prophets and stuff, but one tradition says that he went down and took those Old Testament believers out of hell. I don't know if I can buy that, but that is one of the traditions. So we're going to look at some of the scriptures that have to do with this, but let's remember, we were, we were just in worship, and we said these words, he descended into hell. And I, I kept questioning whether we should go to thinking about the descent into hell, Jesus as the conqueror of hell, the harrowing of hell, and I decided, because this is Lent 101, this is supposed to be an introductory level, but I thought, wait a minute, every Sunday we say these words, this is a creed we base Mm -hmm. our doctrines on, so maybe this is part of Lent 101. So I decided we would, and that we would look at texts today. We'll spend a, a decent portion of our time today looking at texts that talk about that, talk about or hint at, or somehow touch on the idea of Jesus' descent into hell. Now, yeah, we'll, we'll, I want to go back to that. We're going to look at a couple of passages, and then we'll go over here again with some early, with some early church indicators. Um, but maybe we can just look at these passages. Mm -hmm. And the Matthew 27 is page 835, if you've got that black and white Bible. Are you there, Tony? Would you mind reading? I'm there. Um, 51 to 53. Mm-hmm. 27. All right. Mm -hmm. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn into. He's on the cross. I'm sorry. I should have said that. Jesus is on the cross. For someone who doesn't know, I know you know that. But someone online may not know why we're. So go ahead. Jesus is on the cross. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went to the holy city and appeared to many people. Okay, well, that's obscure enough, isn't it? <laughs> we, 
what? The earth shook, the rock split, and, and um, I was looking at my Jewish annotated New Testament, which I love. It was a New Testament. It's the NRSV translation, but the stu- it's a study Bible with notes by two uh, well-respected <clears throat> premier Hebrew scholars, Jewish scholars, and in the notes they, they point out, and, and I appreciate it, that there's no external, there's no extra biblical, there's nothing outside of the Bible that confirms the idea that there was this earthquake the earth, or an earth-shaking rock splitting. Um, that doesn't mean I don't believe this, <laughs> but but I, I do want to point that out from the from some scholars will will question this. Mm-hmm. The tombs broke open. Mm-hmm. Now this doesn't necessarily speak exactly to a descent into hell, but we're setting up a picture here, so I hope we'll be patient with this. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life, and then after Jesus' resurrection, and see, we don't know where, is this Holy Saturday? You know, between verse 52 and 53, are we on, <coughs> excuse me, are we on Holy Saturday, or are we now into after midnight, or after 6 p.m., or when the sun went down, or is it sunrise for us? <coughs> tend to celebrate. Which calendar, right? Yeah, right. Which calendar are you using? Because often our Easter morning services are at or just after sunrise. So so where are we? And then the idea that these people appeared to many people. Let's look at Matthew 12 because that's easy to do to just quickly look back in Matthew and, and that would be page 817. And I'm happy to read that one as we get there. Or, uh, Bill, are you there? Yeah. Yeah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Yeah. Yeah. That Jesus used that image of Jonah being in the belly of the whale, in the darkness of the belly of the whale, under the water. Um, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We get into a question of the Jews' belief in Sheol, which we find in the Old Testament, that's a term, often translated Hades, um, we know that, that one of the differences between Pharisees and Sadducees is that Pharisees believed there was going to be a resurrection. Sadducees didn't, and the only reason I can remember that clearly and will remember till the day I die is because they don't believe in the resurrection. They're so sad. You see. <laughs> one of my kids said that, learned it at Bible camp or something. I said, yes, now I can remember. So, so we know there were questions at the time of Jesus about what was happening. But Jesus predicts his own resurrection in this Matthew 12. Of course, they didn't understand it at that point. But here's the one I had never paid attention to. Peter's Pentecost sermon, Acts 2, page 910 in the Bible you've got, and I'll read it because I printed it out. I don't even have to find it. So while you're getting there, I'll begin reading it because it's longer. This is Peter in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Again, page 910. 
and listen to what he says. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. This is only part of a longer sermon. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles. And actually, I'm starting at 22 as I read. That's why you may be confused about what you're hearing. Yeah. Jesus was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know, Peter's preaching. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, from Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. And now we get to the verses that are on our study guide. Mm -hmm. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Tony, uh, what do you have at verse 7? Is it the realm of the... Or 27. The realm of the dead? What, what does yours say? Realm of the dead. Okay. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. See decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites... Again, this is Peter speaking. He had just been quoting the psalmist. Mm -hmm. And we know from Hebrews that those prophets, those people who came before, that he, the writer to the Hebrews says, were writing things that they didn't understand <laughs> and wondering how God was going to work this out. So if David is the psalmist, or at least it's attributed to him, and you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. But now we go on with what Peter says at verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. And then Peter goes on to say, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. So on the day of Pentecost, we hear this little bit of not abandoning, and this realm of the dead is is more than lying in a grave as far as the Jewish mind. It is this shale place, this belly of the earth, not just in a tomb. Something heavier, something weightier. So let's look at what Peter says later. That was Peter preaching on Pentecost. Later he writes his epistles, and 1 Peter 3 is on page 1016 in that Bible you've got. And I'll read it. For Christ also suffered once for sins. And I'm going to read through 22. Christ suffered also once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, 
but made alive in the spirit. And here's the verse. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. To those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being, we have Noah again, while the ark was being built. It is only a few people, eight in all, who were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission. So Peter talked about Jesus being in the realm of the dead, and Jesus had talked about that up in Matthew. Somehow a belly of the earth, heart of the earth idea. And now we have Peter saying, he went and made proclamation to imprisoned spirits. And on the same page in your Bible, 1 Peter 4, 6, for this is the reason... The gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. Or some, in fact, a literal translation, because I was reading somebody else who, who doesn't try to make it understandable to us and, and put a doctrine into it. The NIV, the ESV, most of them say, to those, preach to those who are now dead. The literal doesn't have now. Preach to those who are dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards. So again, we have an idea of Jesus possibly preaching that, that, that previous, well, in fact, is this one, you know, Jesus pulling Adam and Eve or you know, prophets, saints of the Old Testament out of hell. The scholars I read say that, that I mean, there are those who say that's, that that is what happened. And I want you to hear from some early church. This is way before 4th century. Ignatius, uh, he died in 107. He was a bishop in Antioch. One, and, and by bishop, we don't mean with robes and, and, and hats. Um, he would have been a household church elder and then probably then revered in the community where there were lots of house churches as being one of the premier elders. Ignatius, writing to the Magnesians, he said, um, where shall I start? If therefore, those who were brought up in the ancient order of things have come to possess a new home and no longer observe the Sabbath, and he's talking about the disciples of Jesus, but living in observance of the Lord's Day, Sunday, on which also our life has sprung up again by him and by his death, he says, how shall we be able to live apart from him whose disciples, the prophets themselves in the spirit, did wait for him as their teacher? He says, why would we not believe? We disciples of Jesus, we new Christians, dying in 107, he's right in the end of the first century. John, the, the apostle John, is, is still alive, at least at about 90 or so, 90 to 100. He says, why wouldn't we believe in Jesus if the prophets waited for him in the spirit? And therefore, he says, he whom they rightly waited for, having come, 
raised them from the dead. There was a belief in the earliest church that Jesus did raise those. And of course the question is, did he pull them out of what we think of as hell? Hell it is a term that's a little more difficult for us because of that Hebrew thinking of Hades, Sheol, the realm of the dead. If there's a resurrection, as the Pharisees believe, as we think Job spoke of, um, and we think David did, if there's a resurrection, it, do they have to have been in a place of torment? No, maybe they were in this waiting place. And Ignatius, who died in one seven, says, the prophets waited for Jesus and he raised them from the dead. We won't say it's hell, we'll say it's the depths of the earth. Irenaeus, a theologian, pastor, who died in another century later, 202. So he's preaching and teaching in the second century. It was for this reason, too, that the Lord descended into the regions beneath the earth preaching his advent there also, and declaring the remission of sins by those who believe in him. But the case was, he says, I love that translation, but the case was, for three days he dwelt in the place where the dead were, as the prophets say. He descended to them to rescue them. And I'm skipping a little bit. He, de- he also descended into the lower parts of the earth, and he says this too. David says when prophesying of him, you delivered my soul from the nethermost hell, or Sheol, or the depths of the earth. So we have somebody who died in about 100, somebody who died in about 200, and now we get to Tertullian who died a little later. He's, he's late, how do you say it? Late second century, early third century. I'm sorry. He said that Jesus... Because he was man, he died according to the scriptures. He was God, but man dying according to the scriptures, buried according to the same scriptures, and satisfied the law by undergoing the form of human death in the underworld. Here's another term, underworld. And did not ascend aloft to heaven until he had gone down to the regions below the earth. This is from um, on a coffin in stone. This is on display in the Vatican. We think this is from about 300. And this is Jonah's story. I'm so glad Pastor mentioned Jonah. This is Jonah's story. You see, um, you know, Jonah's being called. He runs away. There's God calling him. He runs away. They throw him out of the boat. He goes into the belly of this horrible beast. (laughs) He's spit out onto land. He eventually preaches. He preaches. They repent and here he is under that tree, the gourd tree that he's so angry when it dies because, you know, he's mad anyway that the Ninevites had indeed repented. Jonah or a fish or a boat are images in the first 300 years of the church. We don't begin to see crosses until after Constantine. And so this image 
on, the, on part of a uh, <coughs> coffin, a stone coffin, would be that story of rescue from the belly of the earth and resurrection. The good shepherd and Jonah. That's what this is called. Hi, John. That this is what this is called is <laughs> next door. <laughs> this one is called the Good Shepherd and Jonah. That Jesus rescues us from death. And he did it by his three days in the belly of the earth. There isn't a cross anywhere. No, no. And this is from around 300. Yeah. Not a cross. No. I've never thought of uh, the simile or whatever you would call it between the um, whale story and Jesus descending into hell. I never thought of that. But that's what we got at Matthew 12. That's what Jesus said. I am going to be like Jonah. I know, and I yeah. never thought about yeah. that before. And so my point here is not that we say, oh my goodness, this is such a strange teaching, but to say, wait a minute, we say this every Sunday, and we say it with conviction. It's in the second article of the Creed. It's about Jesus. He descended into hell. Scholars I've read over these last couple of weeks, and, and before, but especially looking again at the last couple of weeks, and, and this is where I would where I would go with this story, um, this is a, a Greek Orthodox, I think he's Greek, yeah, Greek Orthodox teacher on, on Christ's descent into hell, says if we read the early church documents, if we read the scriptures, what we hear are these themes, that Christ preached to souls in hell, but that doesn't mean he took them out of hell. Okay. That somehow, we just read it in Peter, there is a connection between Christ's descent into hell and our own baptisms. And we as Lutheran believers say that. That in baptism, we are drowned, like Jonah was, drowning in our sin and are rescued and come up out of the water to new life. That's 1 Peter 3. Preaching to the souls in hell, 1 Peter 3 and 4, and other passages, but especially the ones. And his descent into hell vanquished hell and death. And I, and I think we should take time, even though we're talking about Lent, we have a few minutes, we can go to 1 Corinthians 15, which we, I'm sure we will hear. Um, uh, let's see. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't put it on my. I didn't put the number. Um, I'll read it. For the perishable, our perishable bodies must clothe itself with the imperishable. Somehow get a new body, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true: Death has been swallowed up in victory. And then there's the quotation, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? <clears throat> the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory. 
this idea. And so a lot of scholars today say, let's not worry about what we see in those paintings about Jesus pulling Adam and Eve and Abraham and Isaiah and all those guys out of hell. Let's focus on the scripture and the early church writings and say, this is what his preaching is about. It was to go to hell and say to Satan, you are defeated. But then I say, what's that got to do with me for Lent? <laughs> okay, now I have to ask that question. How, how does this thinking about, did this happen on Holy Saturday? And, and again, like Joni, you just said, which calendar are we on? So is it Holy Saturday? <laughs> is it Sunday morning before, before he has seen at the tomb? Somehow, you know, maybe, actually, Colossians is a good verse, and I'll just read it here, the Colossians 2. Um, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, when Jesus was nailed on the cross, um, remember, we, we have, they had put on top the king of the Jews, and somebody objects and says, you know, and, and, and Pilate says, what I've written, I've written. He's the king of the Jews, not he says he's the king of the Jews. We say that he took all our sins and nailed them to the cross. When he says, it is finished, the Greek term, to tell us die, means the debt is paid. It is what a criminal would have on his release papers <laughs> stamped. It is finished. You've paid your debt. The debt is paid and released. So Colossians, um, Paul goes on to say, so he nailed, he's taken our indebtedness, nailed it to the cross, canceled the charge, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That in Jesus' death, his death is victory. And that's why we keep going to this image. Okay. Maybe I just need a new battery, so can I do this? Ah, okay. <laughs> That's why we come to this image of bright sadness, that what is happening in Lent is narrowing my focus so I can think about sin, salvation, death, life, repentance, uh, redemption, and get to Easter. In that 4th century church, I don't, I don't know what they did earlier, but in the 4th century church, we know that the, the bishops, the, 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 you know, the guys who were the Augustans, the Ambroses, the Chrysostoms, those guys whose sermons we still have were saying, from Easter to Pentecost, there will be no fasting, there will be no kneeling, because Easter's joy cannot be contained. In our last couple of minutes, and, 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 and I just hope you sense that too, that the point of this is not self-flagellation or to go through some right 
to check it off, it is to help us to focus on where we're going. Now, all those other rituals we've talked about, many of them, uh, Ash Wednesday, we come together, but it's a very personal, private moment when the, the pastor puts that ash on my head and with a cross and says, dust you are, to dust you will return. A very, very intense, very personal, private moment. But Lent is also a time of corporate lament. We're not going to have a chance to get through this. But there are three traditional categories of Lenten penitents, people who are turning around. One would be catechumens who are going to be baptized, especially, well, in the Catholic Church, they still do this, baptize on Holy Saturday. The Anglican Church baptizes on Holy Saturday. We don't. We tend to baptize when baby's born. And then, um, but those, and especially the early church, 4th century or so, we know, Catechumens would wait to be baptized on Holy Saturday. Or the penitent in our community might be, you and me, I assume, the faithful, desiring renewal, and backsliders returning. Oh, we're almost out of time. So I want to encourage you to go later today or this week, or in the Lenten season, to Psalm 13, or, or the handout suggests Psalm 22, and look at the, and, and think through, in praying a psalm, what happens in the psalm. There will first be a crying out to God, saying his name somehow. Then a petition to him. God, why, why, have, why have you forsaken me? Why are you not coming? Oh Lord, how long? All those phrases come from the psalms. And an argument. God, if you don't change this, people are going to say, our God has no power. Or if you don't change this, how am I going to be able to tell others about you? And then we'll always end with a confession of confidence in God. So if we'd had time, we would have looked at Psalm 13 today. But we won't. But that pattern, and I think it's on our handout. Oh, there it is, yeah. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me, answer me. Give light to my eyes. And if you don't do this, I'll sleep in death and my enemy will say I've overcome him. There's the argument. But then I trust in your unfailing love. I'll sing. I rejoice. I, I wanted us to think about these lament psalms in Lent because we can corporately lament as a people coming together weekly, whether it's on Wednesdays, whether it's on Sundays, whether it's Ash Wednesday, Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. We don't specifically have anything for Holy Saturday, but, but we can go through a communal lament and repentance. And thinking about those three categories of penitence, whether it's a catechumen waiting to be baptized, for us, maybe it's the catechumens waiting to be have their first communion and, and, and confirmation, the rite of confirmation. Mm-hmm. Or whether it is the faithful re- desiring renewal, or whether it is the backslider, someone who's turned away, coming back. I was so glad that the closing prayer we're going to use today, we did use in church this morning. They were probably using in... Uh, they probably have used it at 9.30, and I assume they'll use it at our 11 o'clock service. And this is a beautiful prayer, and that's why I've put it on our handout also. It is one of my favorite prayers to pray 
For those I know, dearly loved ones I know, who have turned away from Christ. And so a communal focus. So I thought we would close today with a prayer for those in our community. It may be a prayer for those in our families, maybe who don't live here, not the community of Jesus in Williamsburg, but maybe farther away. But before we pray it, I'm going to let us think about these words. Oh God, that's the invocation to him, just like in a lament psalm. And then saying what he's like, whose glory it is always to have mercy. That's what he's like. Mercy defines him, and he's glorified. And so then the petition, be gracious to all, and bring them back to embrace and to hold on to Jesus. That's what we're going to be praying. So, would you pray this with me? Oop, wait, I need to have the clicker so we can ready to go on. Oh God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways, and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. That is our prayer for those of us in this room, for those of us in rooms around us, those who are worshiping right now, those who are in classrooms, and for those whose lives we touch, that we would, as Pastor said, yield to the Lord, and that they would be able to yield to the Lord. So thank you. Thank you for being part of Lent 101. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.